Is in a moment, as I draw your attention to the fill-in-the-blank, but I'd like to say hi to everyone at OnSite Rockland, also hi to everyone watching online. Hello to you. And let's just begin with a couple thoughts. If God is real, if the Bible is true, if Jesus really showed up and said what it's recorded that he said, then he's coming back again. Right now, we all are very clear that one day we're going to stand before God. And and usually we think of it in terms of if we pass away from this life. But there's another way that we can pass from here to there. And that's Jesus coming and taking his kids home with him. And that is something the Bible says. And I don't know to what degree we live in light of that. As a matter of fact, growing up, most of you know my story that I grew up kind of a scared little kid in some ways. And, and, and part of that surrounded this whole idea of Jesus coming back. I hated that stuff. In the 70s and 80s, everything was marketed that Jesus coming back meant everyone's head was going to get cut off. And so to me as a little kid, man, I was freaked out. I would never read the book of Revelation. I would never read anything that had to do with Jesus' return. And I remember the first time I I found kind of a, a quandary because I opened up the Bible and it said something about Jesus coming back and then this phrase, encourage one another with these words. And I remember thinking, what the heck are they talking about? Encourage each other. Man, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. I'm not doing a devotion on that. Get out of here. And I I didn't like anything about it. And it's because of my focus and how I'd been trained on it and the, the advertising that had been given to me was skewing it in one direction. Nevertheless, Jesus is coming back. The question immediately He's asked, which is, are you ready? Uh, What if he does show up right now? What if he shows up in the next five minutes? What are you going to do about that? I mean, that that is a very real possibility. Why? Because the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. The Lord could return at any moment. You go, well, Lance, you know what? And according to my uh, eschatology and uh, according to the way I see the end times, there's some other things that need to happen. Whatever. If Jesus shows up, you're not going to argue with him. (laughs) He's going to show up or he's not going to show up. When he shows up, it's going to matter right then and there. Yeah. So I believe that he is coming because he said he's coming. And you go, yeah, well, he said he was coming like over 2000 years ago. Can that really happen? Yes. As a matter of fact, you're about to see, he even told us there would be a delay. He planted in that it was going to be a little while. And yet, he can come at any moment. Will we be found doing his work, loving him, being with him, having a relationship with him when he comes back? Or are we the kind of folks that are like, ah, whatever, you know, we'll see how that all goes. I really don't recommend that. And I don't think that we should ever go, you know what, you know, I'll I'll figure out that whole thing maybe later in life. Because you may not have that long. And so we have to say, are we living in a state of being to where there's peace with God right now? That way, if he comes back, it's cake. That way, if he comes back, it's all good. That way, if he comes back, it's joy. It's glory to glory. As opposed to being an enemy of God and having to worry about that. Should enemies of God be worried about his return? Yes, because y'all had your day 
And when he shows back up, he's shutting you down. So, yes, you should be very nervous about that for certain. But what about his kids? I don't believe that we should have the nervousness because he is coming back to set things right. As a matter of fact, you're going to find out in the stories we're about to read that Jesus is super stressed when he was here going, man, let's just get this thing going. I'm tired of the bad guys winning. I'm tired of my kids being separated from me. I'm tired of the pain. I'm tired of the hurt. I just want to make it right. He was ready to go. Are we ready to go? Jesus is going to tell a series of stories about being ready for the Lord's return. And we turn to Luke chapter 12, verse 35. Luke chapter 12, verse 35, it's page 871. And the Bible's under the seat in front of you if you have one of those. Page 871. Or Luke chapter 12, verse 35. He begins like this. Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. All right, we don't understand anything of what he's talking about, right? Because there's a, there's a custom and there's an ancient world thing and there's a Middle East thing and there's a bunch of background that we have to look for. So let's just break it apart and make it easy. He starts out and he said, I want my people, my followers, my crew, I want you to be dressed for action. That's why I titled it Lock and Load. It's the whole idea. We're ready to go. Everybody get your guns ready. We're going. I want you to be dressed for action. What does it mean to be dressed for action in the Middle East and the ancient world? Well, dudes wore dresses. There you go. <laughs> right? And, and, and fighting and running in a dress and a muumuu doesn't work. So you got to kind of strap that stuff down. Okay? So the guys had robes. And so whenever they could get ready for work, they would have to tie a belt in. They'd pull it up. And then they could go about their work. He said, I want you to be ready. Kind of like Passover, right? He said, I want you to eat the unleavened bread. At any moment, I may call you to leave. Get everything ready so you're ready to go when I call. He said, I want you to keep your lamps burning. Now, lamps nowadays are not like lamps those days because it was a, a wick floating in a bowl of oil. Well, if the oil's gone, it goes out. If the wick gets snuffed, that goes out. So you had to tend to it. It wasn't like you just turn on a light switch and then hope you paid your bills. It wasn't like you had the two-year light bulb that you could you know, screw in there and just leave it. This was constant maintenance. I want you to dress for action. I want you to keep your lamps lit because at any moment I may call you to go. And then he tells us this marriage or wedding analogy or motif. He said, I want you to be like the guys at home who work for the master so that after the wedding feast, when he comes home, they're ready to go. All right. Most of us, if we have got married, got married during the day. Now I say most of us because I didn't. We had an evening wedding over 20 years ago to my bride, and on our way on our honeymoon was a red eye past midnight, all right? But most people get married during the day. In the Middle East, weddings last really long, and they start late, and when the, the Jews party, they party right? I mean, it's like, we got everybody here. We got the community together. Everybody's having a blast. We're going to dance. We're going to hang out. We're going to eat. We're going to drink. We're going to kick back. And it was going to go late. 
So he said, blessed are the servants when the master gets home from a late wedding feast in town that they're ready to go. Now, is this his wedding or somebody else's wedding? I mean, that even though the point is the same, one's a little more intense. You would hate for a guy to get married, bring his bride home to their new home, and he can't get in because the servants are asleep. That would be terrible. Right? I mean, it just amps everything up, right? But even if he's just attending a wedding, he's got to get home. You go, why is he knocking on his own door? That's dumb. Why doesn't he just use his key? Okay, well, the way that it works is that if you have a right-hand man or a steward that watches your estate, they run everything. You don't even bother carrying a key. Why? You pay somebody that's got the key. They're opening and closing. For security purposes, they lock down the whole house. It's not just as easy as walking in the front door. So who's going to unlatch and get everything done? Who's the one that carries the key so the master doesn't have to worry about it? That would be the steward. He better be up when the master comes home from a nighttime banquet. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. There's going to be a blessing for those that are ready. What kind of blessing? Well, this is where it gets even weirder. Truly I say to you, or as we say at Bridgeway, listen up, this is deep. He will dress himself for service, have his servants recline at table, and he'll come and serve them. Wait, what? Why would he do that? That's a terrible idea. He comes home. Now, if it's his own wedding, this is even stranger. He's going to come home, say, hey, everybody, it's good to see you. I'm sorry I was so late. Uh, Hold on real quick. I'm going to run, get changed. Comes back out, says, you guys, why don't you all have a meal? I know you've been waiting up for me or probably uh, didn't eat yet. So I'm going to serve you guys. And like Jesus, who puts a towel over his arm, washes the disciples' feet, all of a sudden the master is serving the servants because he's saying, thank you so much for being available for me. I'm going to come love on you. Whoa, what? When has that ever happened? Have any of you ever, especially if you've grown up in the church, have you ever heard the phrase, the wedding supper of the lamb? You ever heard that? It's kind of a trippy title. Here's what it means. It means that when Jesus comes back and sets everything right, he will throw a massive feast for his people. And it's called the wedding supper of the lamb because Jesus's bride is who? The church. That's us. But we are also his servants. So in a way, he's serving his bride, but he's also serving his servants. And that's what's all getting tied in right here, right? That he's saying, man, when I get back, I'm going to throw this huge party and I will serve you. Why? Because you really don't have anything for me. I got everything for you. I'm here to make your night wonderful. What a servant-hearted king. This is the Jesus we're talking about. This is not the, man, you do everything for me. It's all about me. He has every right to do that. He's the king of all creation. He's the master of the universe. He has every right to have it, the world circle around him. And yet he's talking about, man, I can't wait to love on you and throw you a party. That's pretty awesome. And then he says, and if I come home late, you're like, what do you mean by late? I mean late. Let's say he comes in in the second watch of the night. 
when is that? Well, that's 9 to midnight. You're like, yeah, that's pretty late. He's like, well, what if I come in the third watch? That's midnight to 3 a.m. In other words, the, the party went so long, we're kicking into the next day, and he's not going to roll in until 2 a.m. Are you all ready? If he does that and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. Quick question for you. Why is it always Jesus is coming when you don't expect it? What, what is with the whole unknown time frame? Wouldn't it be a lot easier if Jesus just said, you guys, October 12, 3013, I'm coming back. Wouldn't that be easier? I mean, everyone could plan, right? You could try to organize stuff out. But there's always this, like a thief in the night, you know, and it's always nighttime, right? And I'm like, why has it got to be nighttime? Why can't Jesus come during the day? And they're like, well, the world is a ball and it spins around. So it's nighttime somewhere all the time, right? Okay, I get it. Thank you, science nerds. However... It's always this, you know, you fall asleep, man. Jesus, boom, he's coming in. You know, that's how I felt like when I was a little kid, right? Well, why all the keep you off kilter? Why the you don't know when I'm coming? And he's been doing that since the beginning. Jesus made it sound like he could come back instantly. An imminent return meant a return at any moment. And he said that before he left. So all the early church, and we're talking about the first crew, They all thought Jesus could come at any moment. They were still checking the window and checking their watch. You know, they expected him to come at any time. Here we are 2,000 years later. Well, that sounds kind of weird. So for 2,000 years, people have been checking their watch and checking the window. And going, man, why allow all that? Why not just tell us? Because he knows us better than we know ourselves. And he knows darn well that if we know when he's coming back, we will plan poorly. He also can keep the enemy off guard because I don't think that Satan knows when he's coming back. And and you go, well, how does he not know that? Jesus didn't know that. Remember? Hey, when are you coming back? He's like, I have no idea. You're like, what do you mean you don't have any idea? He's like, well, my father will tell me when to go, but I don't know. If he doesn't know, then the enemy doesn't know. And if he keeps the enemy off kilter, the enemy knows that he's going to be judged, but he doesn't know when. So everything is off kilter. Why? Because God's in control and he demands faith. He's not going to remove that need. There's always a need to go, what about now? Because we need to live in the constant state of what about now? We play these games of... I'll get into that later. We're we're amazing procrastinators, yeah? I mean, if you, even though there's a tension that Jesus could return any moment, most of us just ignore that stuff. And we think that it's really going to be our lifetime. And so when we're young, we really think we have all this time. Do we really have all this time? No, we don't. We don't have any idea what time it is. But we keep planning as if we do. It's this whole idea that nothing's going to come calling on you. I mean, if you looked at the way I eat, come on now, right? I mean, obviously, I'm not thinking that I'm living until I'm 120 because the way I'm eating, my body's like, dude, that is not going to (laughs) happen. Just letting you know right now, I've been gumming up since like 20. So uh, I got all kinds of artery issues, I'm sure, you know. The deal is, is that we think that we're going to be there forever or we think it's going to go. And so we make all these decisions today, not thinking about the ramifications. But if he can come at any moment, the ramifications are what about right now? 
Yeah, well, I'll get into that, that God thing later. What about right now? Yeah, well, you know, I used to be into that God thing. What about now? What's going on with your walk with God right now? Well, I'll think about that later. No, you'll think about it right now. That's why God brought you here for you to think about this stuff. And then all of a sudden he takes that same concept and flips it around in a new metaphor. And you didn't see it coming, but he's going to switch metaphors on us. Look at the next line. Know this, that if the master of the house, this is a different master, different scenario, had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you do not expect. Okay, a couple questions here. Is it okay? Is it nice? Is it polite? Is it acceptable for a master to keep his servants waiting at all times? Is it all right for God to keep us waiting at all times and not tell us when he's going to return? Is that okay? What's the purpose of having a servant? But it's to have them serve you. Eh, That's weird. It's right there in the name. And if you have a servant, what what other identity do they have? They don't have another identity. That's what they do. If a servant serves, there is no other agenda. There is no other plan. There is no other calendaring. You do what the master needs you to do. That's why you exist. So the whole idea that Jesus can come at any time, we're like, man, you're cramping my style, dude. If you could have just let me know that you were not going to come back for another 13 years, I would have lived differently. Really? How would you have lived differently? Well, I mean, I would have, you know, been about, you know, kind of what your stuff. You would have been about building your kingdom. Is that what I hear you saying? The only reason that you're building my kingdom is that you're nervous. I'm going to walk in on you. That's not a good motivator. Oh, I'll use it, but that's not a good motivator, right? You exist for me. So no, I'm not cramping your style by keeping a little off kilter. I'm just telling you that you and I need to be connected at all moments. That's all I'm trying to tell you. Another question for you. Will it really come at us out of nowhere? I don't know. I don't know. The Bible says that we do not know the day nor the hour. All right. So anyone that ever tells you I cracked the Bible code and I know what day he's coming back, they're all delusional. Okay. I'm just telling you right now. And hopefully that just took money away from their ministry. All right. Great. All right. Here's the deal. That's garbage. Why? Because Jesus said, you don't know. However, he also said, I want you to guys to be alert and be tracking on what I'm doing. In other words, you can kind of get a gist about how the world is going so that it wouldn't catch you completely off guard. There's a verse that says you're not going to be like them, that you would be caught completely unaware. Let me use an analogy. Noah's Ark and the flood. You all know that story? It talks about the son of man or Jesus coming back is going to be like that, where it caught a bunch of people off guard. They were like, what? Rain? Because it had never rained before. And so they were assuming it was no big deal, and they were completely caught unawares, and they died. But was everyone caught unaware? No. Uh, I would think that after Noah had been working on a boat for hundreds of years, he would, rain? What are you talking about? (laughs) Okay. No, he knew that was coming. That's why he has a boat. So he's waiting 
for a flood. And that was natural to him. So in the same way, we that are Christians, the whole reason we have a Christian faith is so we engage with God. So if Jesus shows up, we're not going, what? What's Jesus doing here? He already told you he's coming. He's already on his way. So no, it's not that shocking. And yes, there are going to be indicators. Now, some of those indicators obviously have all tripped. So you kind of go, well, you can, you can show up at any time you want. Are there going to be signs in the sky? Well, maybe there were signs in the sky and you didn't even see it. Who knows? And I was like, well, I've been tracking it and I can get it down. Okay, I appreciate your passion. However, be very careful that you're not so obsessed with the end times that you're of no use today. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of people that are pretty focused on that stuff. And you become brilliant at guessing. Uh, let's, how about we just live for Jesus? And so when he comes back, we're not going to go, see, I knew it. And he's like, uh, uh, good for you. Yay. Anyway, while you were doing all your study, other people were sharing their faith. That's weird. Okay. Anyway, moving on. This is great. I love this line. Verse 41. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or for everybody? Why is that funny? Uh, because it shows you the disciples were clueless all the time. I love that. Anytime I read the Bible and you go, man, I don't get it. The disciples are like, dude, I know. I don't get it either. And you're like, well, I thought you were supposed to know that. And he's like, nope, I have no idea what he's talking about. Okay. It was very confusing when they heard it. We actually have more clarity than they had. And so half the time they're like, I don't know what's going on. And they're like, just hang with me. Trust me on this one. Just keep walking with me. So Peter's like, who is this for? And Jesus doesn't even answer him. Just keeps going off on his stories and parables. And so we're supposed to figure it out. Well, let me ask you this. Jesus is about to get super tense. Who does Jesus tend to get tense about? Religious leaders. Jesus seems to have all this grace for sinners and tax collectors and broken people and lost people. He seems to have all this patience in the world. But when it comes to religious leaders that should know better, Jesus gets really mad. Why? Because they're messing it up. So you're about to see him get mad, and I need you to figure out who he's talking to. All right? So let's read through the next one. The Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? All right. Whoever this character is, they have all the authority given by God over his household. Who's that? The religious leaders. It wasn't the disciples yet. Now, later the disciples are going to be held accountable because they're the head of the church. And, and just like there's leaders at this church that are held accountable like me, and, and just like there's a lot of leaders in the world today that are held accountable by God. Why are they held accountable so strongly? Is because they know more. If you know more, you're going to be held accountable for more. If you don't know anything, you're not going to be held accountable for the same amount. But what had happened in Israel was God handed down the authority to Moses and his team. They handed the authority down through the years and it eventually landed up in the hands of the Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, lawyers, right? I mean, all these guys, experts in the law, priests. 
So they're running Israel as a nation that's supposed to be a theocracy, meaning not a democracy, but a God-run theocracy. They were his panel or cabinet members who were supposed to run his will in Israel. How were they doing? Terrible, dismal, wrecking everything. They didn't even know the Son of God was in town. So Jesus is like, really? The most important work my father has ever done, and y'all aren't even tracking on it. That's your only job, guys. Your job is to take care of everybody, and when God comes into town and does something, you breathe life into it. That's all your job is. I didn't ask you to fix the world. I didn't ask you to do anything else. Just do what I ask you to do, and I walk into town as the son of God, and nobody has a clue, and you all want to kill me. We have a leadership problem. So he gets a little tense about that. So it says, blessed is that guy or those guys that are in charge whom their master will find them doing when he comes. Listen up. This is deep. He will set him over all his possessions. What does that mean? If Jesus comes back and he's like, nicely done. I love that. He's like, we got all kinds of stuff to do. Let's go do more stuff. This is great. To some of us, we think of heaven only as rest. Will heaven be rest? Yes, it will. Now, are we all going to float on a little cloud with a heart? No. Godly rest actually means satisfaction. It doesn't mean rest, rest in the sense of I'm not doing anything. I'm tired of laying here. I want to do something else. Nope, we've got to do that for all eternity. It means satisfaction. Actually, what exhausts you and bothers you is agitation of no satisfaction. God is saying, do you remember before there was any sin in the world? I gave Adam and Eve jobs to do. Why did I do that? Because it's what they were built to do. It's fun. It made them feel good. They were a part of what I was doing. They had satisfaction until they fell. That's when the thorns grew up and everything started getting messed up and you started getting frustrated in your job and then you hated the world. Okay, but before that, work was good. So what he's saying is, while you're doing all this work and that's good, and when I purify things out, that's going to be good in eternity. I just need you to know that you are here for me. You are supposed to do what I'm asking you to do. If you do that really well, we'll keep doing that. And it's going to be awesome. Because we all want to hear those seven words, right? Well done, thy good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear from Jesus. Verse 45, was that the case? Was he giving the Pharisees a well done, my good and faithful servant? No, of course he wasn't. So he has this for them. Verse 45, but if that servant who's in charge of everything says to himself, my master's delayed in coming. And begins to beat the male and female servants to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour that he does not know and will cut him to pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Uh Oh, that's called a warning, right? Shot across the bow. What caused the turning? What caused the corruption? What caused the twisting out of the leadership? delay why because their hearts weren't in on it 
they were still being held accountable because they thought that the master was going to come at any moment. The minute he takes too long, they start having all these dreams of maybe I'm in charge. Maybe I get to do whatever I want. Maybe if Jesus doesn't come back in my lifetime, maybe my lifetime is my own. Maybe I can do anything I want. Maybe I can mess around. Maybe I can hurt people. Maybe I can. What is he going to care? What does he know? He's not even around. And that causes everything to go south. When we do not live in light of Jesus' return, we tend to think it's our kingdom. It's not our kingdom. Never was. Do you see right there that delay was baked in? Okay, he said, so when I'm gone for a while, he said that up front. So even though he said I could come back at any time, they could have read and said, I thought you were saying that you were going to be gone for a while. The 2,000 years so far that we've experienced was all prepackaged. It was all planned. He wasn't going to come back for 2,000 years at least. Now, could he come back now? Absolutely. Today. And what are we going to do? Here's the funny thing, though. The whole idea that you would go, well, the master's gone, I can do whatever I want, becomes really silly when your king is omnipresent. Y'all know what I'm talking about? <laughs> okay, if God is everywhere and sees everything, even your thoughts, at what point are you on your own, <laughs> right? At what point are you pulling something over on him? At what point are you doing something in secret or in hidden? There is no such thing as hidden, not to God. And so he's going, this, this is ridiculous that you're going off as if you run the world when I'm watching you run my stuff into the ground. I'm paying attention. The master will come on a day that the servant doesn't expect. Why? To check on his real behavior. Because we all clean up if we think someone's coming over. But well, I shouldn't say that. All women clean up when they know someone's coming over. Okay, I just had to get, get that accurate, right? Some of the dudes are like, whatever. (laughs) And he will put him with the people who never were friends of the king. Verse 47, and that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, he will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating, he'll receive a light beating. You're like, oh, well, at least it's light. I'm like, uh, it's still a beating. <laughs> Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. What, what's the point? You're going to be held accountable for what you know. The Bible says in Romans that everyone in the whole world has some understanding of God. Why? Because God revealed himself to them. Now, you're going to go, yeah, but come on. It's, they're born into a Muslim state. They have no family that is even religious. They're just going through the cultural issues. They're all by themselves. There's nothing within hundreds of miles of them about Jesus. And you're telling me they know about God. Yes, I am. Why? Because God is omnipresent. And God is in that house. And God is in that room. And God is in that heart. And God is in that head. And God is in those dreams. And what happens is, is he said, listen, I know you don't know much about me, but you know something's out there, right? That's me. And they're like, well, I don't know. Everybody keeps telling me this. Well, I don't know. What do you think? All I need you to know, I need you to be with me. Well, I don't really understand who you are. I know you don't understand who you are because I didn't tell you who I am yet. 
All I'm saying is, what are you doing with what you know? So right now, we're all, let's say we all just check in on where we're at right now. Do you know as much about the Bible as one of our Bible teachers? No. Are you expected to? No. So you're going to be held accountable for what you know. And you go, oh, well, then maybe it's a good idea that I just choose to be stupid. <laughs> that would be so much easier on everyone. The Bible says that we have a responsibility to go figure it out. Okay? Now, here's where y'all get busted. You actually live in America. And in America, we're, we have a Christian hangover in this nation, all right? There is a church on every corner. The Bible is the best-selling book of all time. As a matter of fact, you can get them at thrift stores, or people will give you one for free. So, yes, Jesus is all around you. And if you're going, I don't know anything, that's kind of on you. It's not that hard. So you will be held accountable for needing to figure it out so that you can know something. But are you going to be held accountable like some leader who knows all this stuff and has all these encounters with God and all that? No, stop with that. God graves on a curve. And the curve is, who have I revealed myself to be to you? And have you engaged with that? Will we be doing what he desires when he comes? What does it look like to do the works of God? Because he's like, well, you better be working when I show up. What does that even mean? Does that mean we're saved by works? Does that mean we're just doing more ministry? What does that mean? It means just doing what God would want to do in that situation. So what does that look like? Sometimes it looks like being kind to your neighbor. Whoa, what? You really get credit for that? Uh, yeah, that's called a very noble work. Do you understand Jesus said, even if you give a little cup of water to one of the little ones, you won't lose your reward. Like, stop telling me what's important ministry and what's not important ministry. Did I ask you to give them a cup of water? Woo! Okay, you're all freaking out about not having a national ministry. Who cares? Would you give the little one a cup of water? That's awesome. That's all I asked you to do. Okay, all it means is doing what would naturally come through someone in love with Jesus who's tracking on what he's telling them. Sometimes it's no big deal. Sometimes you're actually going to go, I wish I had more important things to do. Just do what he asked you to do. If Jesus is in your environment at that moment, what would he do? Okay, go do that. Well, I don't know. Jesus wouldn't work for an insurance company. Okay, okay, come on. Sure he would. Right? Not long, but he would work for one, okay? I'm kidding. It's the idea that he's just in regular life. Jesus was a carpenter. What did he do for 30 years? I don't know, made wood stuff. That was still what his father asked him to do. It, well, it wasn't fancy. I know, nobody even wrote about it. There's no like, oh, do you know Jesus made this chair? There's none of that. None of his stuff even lasts today, right? And the one wood thing he is associated with, he did not make. That would be that one. You know what I'm saying? All right, let's keep moving. And then he says this. Jesus said, I came to cast fire, that's judgment or purification, on the earth. And would that it were already kindled. I wish you would just get started. I have a baptism to be baptized with. That is the cross, that is the suffering, and how great is my distress until it's accomplished. This is Jesus' craving to make things right, and let's just get it over with. 
because this is tough stuff. But I want my kids safe and I want the bad guys gone. That's it. Well, do you think I came on earth to give peace? Uh, No, I tell you rather division. Verse 52. From now on, meaning as we keep providing the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, sharing the gospel, in one house there will be five divided. Three against two, two against three. They'll be divided. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law. What's his point? Christianity is not family friendly. I know we'd all like everything to be sweet and cute. And, oh, if everyone's a Christian, then everything works out well. You know what? There's some division there. Why? Because a list of priorities. To a Christian, it goes God, family, work. You understand what I'm saying? God, family, work. Whatever's higher on that list takes priority or precedence. Therefore, if your family collides with God, God wins. Well, that's going to cause some division. And not everybody likes to hear that. But it's not a hard concept to understand. Jesus said, if you do not love me more than your family members, we got an issue right now. Why are they the God? Why are they the idol? Why are they the big deal? No, 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 no. I'm your number one. And it's not hard to understand. I remember when my youngest, when Andy, she was six years old, she had a sit down with me and told me Jesus was more important than I was. I wholeheartedly agreed. She said, if it ever comes down between you and him, dad, I just want you to know I'm going to choose him. I just need you to know that. It's not that I don't love you. Which I thought was super cute. Trying to affirm me. And then she was like, I'm ready to die for him. I was like, yeah, you're hardcore, right? It's not, it's not hard to understand. It's just hard to live, right? It's hard to live. And Jesus, his whole family didn't believe in him until he came back to life again. So he had to deal with all that where they thought he was insane and they thought he was messed up. And he's already dealt with a division. And then he said this. He also said to the crowds, uh, when you see a cloud rising in the west from the Mediterranean Sea side of things with moisture, you say at once, a shower is coming, meaning it's going to rain. And then it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing from the desert, the Scirocco winds, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Meaning, wow, you're really good at the weather. You're terrible spiritually. How are you so clueless as to what God is doing in your midst? Because you're so excellent at reading obvious signs. Why are you not tracking with me? I'm giving you obvious signs. Yet you still don't get it. What are we doing here? And then he ends with uh, the most practical Jesus parable of the whole bunch. I love this. Verse 57. Why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way. Lest he drag you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer puts you in prison. I tell you, you won't ever get out until you paid the widow's mite the very last penny. And you go, what? What is that one about? Here's how it goes. He goes, guys, let's just be practical real quick. Let's say you did something wrong and you know you're busted and someone is going to take you before a judge. 
Don't you think you should try to settle the matter before you end up in prison? What's his point? Everybody's got a bad account with God. And you know where you should end up. Don't you think we should have a conversation with God before that time? It's only practical. Hey, there is an afterlife. Hey, there is an end to life. Hey, there is a time when you're going to come face to face with Jesus Christ. How about we dialogue now? That's pretty practical, right? When Jesus comes back, what's he going to find? When he comes back, what's he going to call out? When he comes back, do we have a good and faithful servant or do we have a, wow, you really, okay, I don't know what you were doing. That was bizarre. I gave you all that connection. I spoke to you. I loved on you. I cared for you. I gifted you. There's talents. There's all kinds of stuff going on in your life. You had nothing to do with me. As a matter of fact, every time I tapped you on the heart, you turned over and blocked me out. What's that all about? Is that what he's going to find? All right, so we're going to pray. And I want to pray for two groups of people. I want to pray for you that do not literally think that you are ready for him to come back because you actually have never had that dialogue. What this, what this means is I'm going to pray a prayer, and if that is your heart, you're going to pray along with me in your heart. Because we got to start this conversation right now. Because the whole idea that anyone here is not ready at all is unacceptable. Okay? So we're going to pray for that. Then there's a bunch of us who we started out fired up for the Lord, but we just stalled out. And we've had a dry spiritual life for decades. Or for years. Or for months. Where it just went all the passion right out of your body. You got nothing going on. There's no love for God. There's nothing fresh with God. You're just going through the motions, doing your normal thing. And the whole reason why you're here or even listening to me is because somehow I kind of got pushed on you or that's just what you normally do. But really, when it comes to God, there's no excitement, there's no joy, there's no interest in reading the Word, there's no interest in praying, there's no interest in worship. All that stuff seems just like whatever. Where's the love? All right, so we're going to pray about you too, all right? Let's pray. We're going to pray for the first group first. So in your heart, I want you to prepare this while I'm praying. I want you to kind of just agree if this is really your heart. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we don't know you whole time the pastor keeps talking it's it's all this stuff that seems so far away god you feel close to me but i don't even know what's going on god i need you i want the real you i don't want you manufactured by somebody else i don't want uh little cliche answers i i, I want to be saved and rescued because i am a mess God, I need your forgiveness. I, I know I went wrong. I know I was just born wrong. I mean, everything's all messed up about me. And God, I want to be cleansed. Jesus, everything you did on the cross, I want to be true for me. You said, and I don't even know if I get this right. You said that you died for me. Well, I want that to be right. 
God, I don't want to have guilt between you and me. I don't want to not know you. I don't want to feel weird about praying. I don't want to feel like an outcast or all by myself. I don't want to go through life anymore alone. And I need you now. So I throw up my hands. I surrender. I call it. I'm out. I don't have anything. I have no agenda anymore. Just come change me. I need a new heart. I need a new life. I need you to wake me up. And so I pray that you would rescue me in your son's name. Now, for those of us that are stuck, I pray. Heavenly Father, I don't know what happened. It started out awesome and then nothing. Lord, it petered out. It wasn't anything dramatic. I'm not even angry at you. I just am numb. I'm lost. I, I just drift through my day. I'm thinking about everything in this world. I don't have any passion for the supernatural. I don't care about people dying and going to hell. I don't, I don't even care about people, honestly, Lord. And it's because somehow your heart and my heart, you kept going and I stayed here. And I don't like it. It feels weird. It feels yucky. And I want it to start over. So would you ignite a passion in me and light a flame today that I might be a new creation, that I might be renewed in my mind, that I might have a love like I had in the beginning and things would just be right and good with us and they would be exciting and there would be adventure again and I would start caring about what is happening in the lives around me and I would start caring about what is happening in my own family and I would care about what is happening in my own heart. God, rescue me from my apathy, rescue me from my laziness, rescue me from my boredom. Step in, God, and ignite me and make all things new. I give you full authorization into my life for you to make necessary changes. And God, if you got to scrap it and start over, I'm in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you next time. you're not going to live forever. Why aren't we having the dialogue about who I am and how I can save you? I, I understand. You know there's an afterlife. Don't tell me you don't know that. You know that. I don't care what your college professor told you. There's an afterlife and you know it. And if there's an afterlife, what are you doing about it? Are you talking to the guy who happens to be in charge of the afterlife? I mean, let's just be practical. How in the world are we looking toward our future and thinking we can do whatever we want when we're not Jesus is going ballistic going, I don't get this. Why is there resistance? I'm failing to see. You so don't want me to save you? Why? Why is there such a resistance in your heart? I want to rescue you. You're heading down a bad path. I want you to live in fullness and die in greater fullness. Why aren't you talking to me? Well, because you're taking too long and I feel like this is my life.
Oh. Are you ready for his return? Well, what, what, do, you, what do you mean, ready? I'm like, did I pay off my car? What, do you, what, are, you, what are you talking about? I refied. Do you have a relationship with your God? Has Jesus been invited in to clear your account? Have you allowed his death on the cross to wash over your sin? Have you allowed him to give you a new heart? Because if you have not, you're not ready. Well, it's a good thing, Lance, because I believe the gospel. I'm absolutely, man. He's my Lord and Savior. All right. Are you remaining ready? Well, I don't know. What does that mean? Is your walk with God fresh? Or are you still living off 20 years ago? Are you breaking new ground with the Lord? Are you engaging with Him and saying, Lord, what do you have for me today? Are you growing in excitement? Is your love and your passion ever deeper every day? Are you being able to look and say, God, I want more of you. I don't know how to do all this stuff. I, I don't know how to pray right. I don't know how to, but I want you. Is there any desire anymore? That's how you remain ready. Is that you? That when he comes back, that he would have to look at you and smile and go, man, we were so good in college. It's a shame that you kind of shelved me for the last 40 years, but we were hardcore, man. You remember that? Remember that? We were seeing all that crazy stuff. You were like, oh, Jesus, yelling at everybody. You were a little weird, but you were sweet. I want to pray for you. And I'm going to pray two different prayers. There are some here that you know in your heart you got to start. And there's some that know that you started, but you stalled. And that's who we need to pray for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I hear this message. I know it's right. And I'm afraid that I don't have a part in it. God, the whole reason why I'm here is crazy to me. But I have some inner sense that this is legit. I believe that you're real. I don't know what to do with it. But I want to be right. So God, I pray right now. And I would invite whoever that is that you would just pray this in your heart with me. I pray right now, Father, that you would save me. Even using these words is weird. But I know that I'm lost. I know that things aren't right. I know that everything in my life hangs on me like a thick cloud of darkness. And I want to be free. So God, I come to you today and I would like your son, Jesus Christ, to save me. Jesus, I want you 
to make everything that you bought on the cross true for me. And I want, Holy Spirit, for you to fill me up that I might be ignited alive for the first time. Would you heal me, God? Right here, right now. I believe. I believe Jesus died 2,000 years ago for my sins. I confess that I have not done right. Cleanse my sins. Forgive me. And make me whole. In Jesus' name. Father, for the rest of my friends that have stalled out, I pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, you rescued me. We were so excited. There was so much love and passion. And it seemed perfect and right. And I could never dream of a day that I would be like I am today. Dead inside. Bored out of my mind. Doing the motions, having no passion, not understanding your word, not even wanting to read your word, not praying because praying doesn't seem to matter to me anymore. And Lord, the whole worship thing, it just seems like I turned on the radio. And so, Father, I need your fresh spirit to come upon me. And so right now in my heart, I cry out to you and I ask, would you ignite a fire within me that I might be just as in love with you as I was at first? That I would no longer allow my days to just go from one into the other, but I would grab every day with you. That we would dominate and that we would enjoy it and that I would grow once again. But Father, I cannot do that without your desire in my heart. Because Father, I have let the garden go so bad that I'm overgrown with weeds. Lord, would you come through and do your mighty weeding process, make it pristine ground, till it up, churn it up, replant it, and allow me to grow. Help me to feel like a little kid again, that I can know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next time.